Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on with Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start the show today with talking about voting and voter registration. Everyone that is uh, listening today and all of your friends and families and your relatives and friends and coworkers, please encourage them to register to vote. That's the first step. We have to register to vote. I hope to organize uh, blocks of voting uh, in the future, but the first step is register to vote. So if you uh, have a case in the juvenile dependency system and you're not happy with the laws, you're not happy with the judges, uh, you can change both here in California by registering to vote. We can do that by voting in state-friendly legislators, who will uh, change the laws to make the laws more family friendly or or and or we can vote in family friendly judges um, who will interpret the laws in favor of families instead of in favor of CPS and DCFS. In California, judges are um, either elected or appointed by the governor, but either way, um, they have to face re-election and so they will always come uh, subject to the voters' wishes. So please make sure that you register to vote. And I hope to in the future by county by county here in California, and perhaps in the future in other states, uh, start to give recommendations uh, when it comes time to vote with respect to who I think um, people should vote in terms of uh, family-friendly Uh, juvenile dependency and CPS courthouses and courtrooms. There is a question that I get asked all the time, and uh, I want to pose this question and give you my answer. The question that that I'm asked all the time is, can the social worker make me drug test? And the answer to that is no. The social worker can't make you drug test. Now, social workers sometimes ask you at the beginning of the case, um, will you drug test for me? Or I need a drug test from you. Or you have to drug test for me. Words to that effect. And the answer is, prior to the beginning of the case, the social worker cannot make you drug test. Now, the social worker might inform the judge, hey, I asked so-and-so, or I asked the mother or father to drug test, and they um, declined. In my humble opinion, that cannot be used against you in the courtroom. First of all, there's no court order. 
for you to drug test. Only a, only a judge can order you to drug test. A social worker cannot. So you can always decline. And in my experience, there's probably plus or minus 3% error rate in all drug tests. I know a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, but uh, scientifically, no test is 100% um, uh, positive or 100% correct, either positively or negatively. So there's always an error rate. So um, keep that in mind when you say, oh, I'll, I'll take a drug test. The other thing is there are several types of drug tests um, that they're administering in CPS courts or in CPS cases. There's the, uh, the urine test. There's a patch test where you put a patch on your arm, um, which in my opinion is highly unreliable. There's the hair follicle test and there's the blood test. Now, in my opinion, under California law, there are only one, maybe two, um, drug tests that can be given that are legal. Um, one is the urine test and probably the patch test, although the patch is highly unreliable. So... If a, if a judge asks you to do a hair follicle test or a blood test, in California, those have been held to be too intrusive. Now, what I see a lot of times is um, a, a judge will order um, a, a hair follicle test. And if you or your attorney do not object to it, then you're going to have to take that hair follicle test. In a lot of cases, both in juvenile and in family law cases, the judge will ask, counsel, is your client willing to do a hair follicle test? Now, that question is posed, and sometimes it's posed as if, well, if you're not willing to do it, I'm going to be drawing maybe a negative inference. But I think it's just the way the question is posed because I don't think, in my humble opinion, that can draw, the judge can draw a negative in, inference uh, from you or your client saying no, they don't, they don't agree to do a hair follicle test. And probably if you decline to do the hair follicle test, you can probably say it's a violation of your rights, um, your constitutional rights. And if you do do the urine test, there is only the results. Those are only the results that they can use. Um, against you. So no social worker can make you do a drug test, but before the case starts, they will ask you to do a drug test. Um, I think they're reimbursed, uh, profit-making thing, in my opinion, by the federal government for having you do a drug test uh, before the case starts. Now, after the case starts, um, at the detention hearing, if drugs is an issue, the judge, and, and sometimes if drugs is not even an issue in the case, the judge may make a statement such that it appears that the social worker can give you a drug test or should give you a drug test or orders you to drug test for the social worker. 
at that point in time, um, your you or your attorney may want to object to the judge ordering you to do a drug test. The judge uh, technically can't order you to do a drug test until after he or she has taken jurisdiction in the case. And that doesn't happen until after the disposition or at the disposition hearing. So if you test before the disposition hearing and after the detention hearing, um, you're doing it voluntarily and you're doing it voluntarily to show, mainly to show the judge you know, that drug involvement is not um, or should not be part of the case as far as you're concerned. Although it comes up all the time. I, I represented a guy this, um, met a guy this week who's now a client. And um, the funny thing was that he doesn't live with the mother, but he has custody of the child. And um, the mother was bashing him and she was bashing him from jail. She's uh, apparently in jail on domestic violence and related drug charges. And she was telling the social worker that, um, you know, the father, uh, who has a job where he's drug tested on his job as well, uh, was using illegal drugs. And the social worker, um, even after the detention hearing and even after the, you know, the fact that the judge never ordered or requested drug testing of the father, the social worker and her supervisor was trying to insist that he take a drug test. And I told him um, he didn't have to do that. And in my opinion, it could not be used against him. Uh, he has the child in his custody. Mother is incarcerated. They did not live together before the case started. And now the social worker seems to be threatening him uh, that she will take the child away from him uh, if he doesn't drug test for her. And I told him, I suggested he get that in writing via text or email or letter. And um, because if, if the social worker makes that type of statement, she's subjecting herself and subjecting the county whom she works for to a big fat lawsuit for some type of a civil rights violation. So, you know, don't drug test unless you want to. Uh, he told me, well, Mr. Davis, just to get her off of my back, I think I will drug test. And I said, that's up to you. I mean, that's a personal choice that you'll make, but um, you don't have to. Anyway, so I don't know at this point what he decided to do. I hope that takes care of the question about whether you have to drug test or not. And by the way, after the court makes disposition orders and orders you to drug test, you still don't have to drug test. The only uh, consequence to that is that you may not get your child back if you don't drug test and drug test clean. So always keep that in mind. Okay, right now I'm going to take our first call. It's from area code 760 ending in 41. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? A uh, story? Tell us. Um, well, I've been going through a case for two years. Um, right now, though, as of um, 9-2017, my kids were moved to another county. And um, I still have my parental rights. The CPS worker is dead set on adopting out four of my six children. And um, the judge didn't even know that the kids were moved until my sixth child's court date. 
and I uh, acknowledged him. He didn't know what I was talking about when I uh, was trying to explain to him, you know, this is a lot for me because I was having to do uh, Department of Behavioral Health um, classes for a place called uh, Change, um, having to do uh, drug tests, having to do um, uh, visits, and they want me to go up there, but they uh, they took away my reunification, so I have to pay for the trips myself. And um, it's I just told him, you know, it's been hard, and he... He told me he didn't even know that the kids were moved, so obviously they didn't ask him or get permission, you know, and um, I've been dealing with bias discrimination for the whole time over my medical cannabis, and, um, you know, I just, I don't think this is helping the kids at all, and um, I guess there's a story and a question, um, like, what, uh, what should I keep doing to move forward? Well, to keep moving to um, move forward, you should still um, be testing. You should still be doing your counseling, your parenting classes if you haven't finished them. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is you mentioned that your children were moved from one county to another. Yes. In California, in California, the children must be placed in your county. And as I recall... Um, they cannot be placed in another county unless the social worker does a special type of declaration, you know, declaring that, you know, they've looked for foster homes in your county um, and there are none available, which in Southern California, you know, I, I find that hard to believe in any county. But, um, yeah. I do see children placed outside of the county of their parents. Now, let me ask you something. Um, are, do, do you have any relatives that the children can be placed with? Um, yes, or my my um, my my uncle, which is my blood uncle. He he was stepping up to take the kids, and. They, he told them I can take care of them. He said I may not have a job, but I promise I can take care of them. I have lots of things I can pawn or sell. He had like four quads and a truck and all kinds of stuff. You know, he's willing to give that up for for my kids to stay with him and the family. And uh, she said, okay, well if you can guarantee it, and he said I guarantee it. And then the next day, without even telling anybody, she showed up to take all the kids. Okay. I want to inform you and I want to inform the listeners that um, the person who is a relative is actually defined in the law. And if you Google Welfare and Institutions Code section 361.3 and then you look at subdivision C, uh, C2, it defines relatives. And let me read it to, for everyone. Relative means an adult who is related to the child by blood, adoption, or affinity within the fifth degree of kinship, including step-parents, step-siblings, and all relatives whose status is preceded by the words great, 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 or grand, or the spouse of any of these persons, even if the marriage was terminated by death or dissolution. However, Only the following relatives shall be given preferential consideration for the placement of the children. 
an adult who is a grandparent, aunt, uncle, or sibling. Now, that's a very broad definition of relative because yeah. a lot of people think, well, they're not my relative by blood. But if the person's related by blood, adoption, or affinity, within the fifth degree of kinship, and I think that's like your second cousin twice removed, I mean, that's a lot of people. And even if the relationship is is there because – or was – even if the it was a relationship by marriage, and even though the marriage had been terminated or dissolved, terminated by death or dissolution, that person is still considered a relative. So when you have a mother and a father and you have all of these this, – this huge definition of, of what a relative is. Yeah people should be able to find someone who can take the kids. Now, I want to stress something that I tell a lot of my clients. The relative doesn't have to live in your county. In other words, let's say you live in Los Angeles County and your case is in Los Angeles County. The relative or family friend, we haven't talked about the family friend yet, the relative or the family friend can live anywhere now, it's good if they live in the county, Los Angeles County, yeah. where your case is. But the person could live in another county, say Riverside County or San Francisco County or Shasta County or Sacramento yeah. County. In addition, the person, that relative or family friend, can live outside of the state of California. That person can live in Nevada, Miami, Maine, Chicago, uh, Illinois, New York, so anywhere in the United States. And yes. that's handled by something called an interstate compact placement with a relative or another person. Finally, the relative or family friend could live in another country as long as that country is a member of a special treaty with the United States for the placement of children. <laughs> so what I see in a lot of cases in California, especially in San Diego, uh, Los Angeles, Riverside, San Bernardino, is that the relative actually lives in another country like Mexico, like somewhere in Central America, South America, or Canada. Or, yeah. you know, and I had a case recently where the relative lived in China or in oh, Japan. Wow. So... The relatives can live any place, so don't think and don't let the social worker tell you, oh, because the, the relative doesn't, or family friend doesn't live in our county, we can't place the child there. And a lot of people have told me that. It's not true. It's not true. So insist on you know, play, having your child or children placed with relatives because relatives are a better placement, in my mind, for the child and probably a better placement for the parent. Yeah. In other words, relatives may be more willing to work with the parents and not adopt the child and give the parents a longer term in getting the child back. By the way, relatives no longer have to uh, adopt the children. For many years, Social workers would um, threaten relatives, hey, if you don't adopt the child, we're going to move the child and take the child away from you. I was on a case two weeks ago where the relative testified to that 
as that's still happening, and it was still happening in Orange County. The reason why um, adoption is so favored by um, social workers, in my opinion, is because there's a financial incentive, there's a financial bonus that the counties actually get for adopting children out instead of legal guardianship or long-term foster care. So in my opinion, yeah. in many cases, they say, oh, adoption is the best plan, <laughs> and it really isn't. There's just a financial incentive for them to adopt the child. Yeah. So if your ch children are placed out of um, the county, try to get your attorney, speak to your attorney, and have the children move back. And especially, you mentioned you have an uncle who can take care of the kids. You know, financial considerations in California are not a reason to move a child because the county is supposed to be paying the relative to take care of the child, paying the relative for the child's food, the child's clothing, the child's housing, the child's medical care. So theoretically, theoretically, you could be unemployed as a relative and take care of the child because the county and the state of California and the federal government will have to pay you to take care of the child. I see in a lot of cases, and especially in cases in, um, like in San Bernardino, they make this requirement that uh, in order to get the child back, the parent has to have a job and a place to live. In my opinion, those orders are not enforceable and are perhaps illegal. Um, so going back to your original statement, try to get the children placed back in the county so it can be easier for you to visit so that there'll be a better connection with the um, relatives. Yeah, because my uncle went through everything. And he still doesn't have the children back? No. He went through, he had his certification because I guess now you have to have a certification to get children. Um he went through the whole certification right. before um, my cousin even gave up, gave the seven-day notice that he was moving out of the house because my cousin had custody of them um, in the before my uncle was going after it. And my uncle only went after it to help me because my cousin was stepping down. Interesting. Oh, well, um, remember, insist on the placement of your child with okay. family, friends, or relatives, and do not give up. I want to thank you for calling and sharing your story with us this morning. Thank you, too, Mr. Davis, and God bless you. Okay, I'm going to take another call. It's from area code 818, ending in 24. Hi. You're on with um, Attorney Vince Davis. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm calling in because uh, we have an, a current open DCFS case. Um, this case was opened, well, it was it was opened in May, but the investigation started since January. Um, it was due to physical abuse. Uh, during that uh, time period, we had detectives, we had police officers, um, I called to our house randomly, so we would be having dinner, and they would come in randomly, you know, okay, well, we're calling in, we're coming in on a call for, like, child abuse, so they would come, they would talk to my daughter, she's seven, and they would talk to her, check her body, and on all occasions, they actually had me remove her shirt, or if she had pants, you know, can can you lift up her pants, we want to see for any bruises or anything, they would interview her, 
um, she did tell him, you know, my parents would spank me. So they told us that we were not allowed to spank. That's what the caseworker told us. But the police department was like, no, you're allowed to spank, just not with the belt. And you're allowed to in the butt. That is what California law allows you. So That's they true. didn't find anything. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, one of the detectives, uh, she was like, you know, I spank my kids too. So don't let a, a, a caseworker tell you that you're not allowed to because they're going to try to scare you into you not disciplining your kids. And if you find necessary, you know, to spank your daughter, you know, do it. Just she did tell us, she's like, I would just recommend since you do have a case going on right now, you know, just avoid all of that right now because they can tr- they can try to use that against you. Um, so they basically found nothing and they were deciding to close the case. Uh, what was it? Last Friday. So we already had basically the court papers, everything that said they were trying to close jurisdiction. The day before, which was uh, last Thursday, they get a call in again. And this is this is this has happened at least four times. They want to close an investigation or they want to look into, you know, uh, whatever the case is. And a new allegation comes in every single time. So this is a fourth, I think a third or fourth allegation coming in for physical abuse. Same exact thing. Um, They interviewed my daughter this time. And my daughter was like, oh, my mom, uh, she pushed me. And I fell. The second time they interviewed her, she was like, oh, um, she's like, my mom pulled me by my hair. And then when they came by the, they came to the house, um, the caseworker was like, I need to check your daughter's body, right? And so I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. Uh, usually when the caseworker comes, she'll tell me same exact day or the day before I need to go see the girls. I never tell her no, you know? So she comes in, she checks the she checks my daughter. She has a bruise on her shin. Um and she was like, "How did your daughter get that bruise?" I was like, "I don't know." I was like, "Because she just had her first soccer practice this last week." And she's 7, she gets bruises there a lot or like around her arms. And she takes my daughter aside to her room by herself, and then she comes back and she's like, "Your daughter says that you threw her against the bed. She fell on her back, and she has a bruise on her shin. I was like, okay, excuse me. I was like, you're telling me that she fell on her back, but yet that bruise is on her shin. I was like, this is like the fourth time that she changes the story. My husband, they told me, you know, you need to leave the house. Um, You need to leave the house for like seven days um, until we conduct the investigation. They made me sign a S. DM safety plan. Um, so I went ahead and I did that. And we had a CFT meeting uh, this past Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And they told my husband that he also was going to get his parental rights removed uh, for now for another seven weeks as well, because since he failed to protect uh, my daughter. Uh, mind again, this is the third uh the third call or fourth call i think they've checked for bruises they've checked for other things they haven't found anything um my daughter said that she's been talking to an adult at school that has 
that has no business. Uh, she doesn't work at the school or anything. She's a parent from one of the students. And that she constantly asks my daughter what's going on with the case. She she will ask her, you know, what has the caseworker asked you? So me and my husband are like, we don't know if this person is telling my daughter to say these things. We don't know what's going on. Um, they did tell us in a CFT meeting that since this is already the fourth call, that they might look into removing the girls. They already wanted to remove the girls once and the judge completely denied it because again we've already completed parenting classes we've done therapy for uh her as well as me and my husband we've done couples counseling as well and it targeted anger management and uh, domestic violence and so on and so forth so we've completed everything and they're telling us that the reason why the court wants to extend it till january is because they're concerned that a new allegation is coming in and we have already completed all the things that they've asked us to do. Um, so we really don't yeah, know on, where the case may go from here on out. Okay, so you actually have a court case at Monterey Park? Yes. Okay, so let me tell you this. If a social worker tells you before the hearing that the judge wants to do something like extend the case, that's a flat-out lie. The reason is the social workers aren't allowed to communicate to the judge without you and your attorney present. So if she mm -hmm. told you that, she's misleading you. Now, if you didn't go to the hearing and she told you that after the hearing, she may be saying something that she did hear the judge say. But if you weren't at the hearing, you didn't get to hear it, but mm -hmm. you were at the you would have heard what the judge said, okay? So here's, okay. here's the, it sounds like you're at a what's called a six-month review hearing date. And at the six-month review hearing date, if the social worker doesn't want to close the case, you have the right to challenge that and to set it for trial and to prove to the judge the case can be closed. The basic standard is whether the abuse which brought you to the uh, brought you to the court is um, has been eradicated or eliminated by counseling or or, or um, you know parenting classes. Now, if you've uh -huh. done everything, um, there's no reason for the case to be remain open. So let me ask you this: When is your next court date? Uh, they told us it was in January. I'm not sure the exact date, but they were supposed to mail us um, for the next court date since we, since when, the judge, well, uh, well, the caseworker told me. Uh, the last one was this last was Friday. Last we were supposed date? to go to court. Yeah, it was, um, let me, it was this last Friday they passed. Um, I'm not sure the exact date for that. Did, did you go to But court? it wasn't uh, yesterday. It was the, the Friday before that. Um, on the seventeenth. Did, did you go to court? No, the caseworker told did us to not to. Yeah, she told okay. us not so to show up to court. To... Okay, let me tell you something. When she told you that, she guaranteed that your case would be extended to January. Because if you don't show up and tell your attorney, I want to set it for trial. And assuming you haven't talked to your attorney, 
they're just going to continue the case for another six months. So she lied to you to fool you and trick you and not going. So I want to tell my audience, always go to the court date, no matter what the social worker says. The social worker doesn't control the case. From your perspective, you, your attorney, and your judge control your case, not the social worker. So she sets you up for six more months continuance. Now, that's the bad news. You want to hear the good news? The good news is that you can do something about it. You can contact your attorney and have your attorney file a motion to redo the hearing because you want to set it for contest, all right? You want to set it for a trial because you didn't show up because the social worker told you not to show up, and the social worker said she talked to the judge and that the judge wanted to extend it. That's a flat-out lie. Not only, not only is it a lie, but you probably have a very good civil rights lawsuit against that social worker. Having said that, the other thing that you can do is you can have your attorney file what's called a 388 petition to close the case, weaker than having the case or having, making the motion to do the hearing again because at the six-month review hearing, the law actually assumes that if the kids are with you and you've been doing everything that you should be doing in terms of reunification or family maintenance classes and counseling and all of that stuff, that the case should be closed. And the social worker has to prove that the case should remain open. If you file a 388, you have to prove that the case should should be closed. By the way, there's a big difference between those two things. And um, one of the things that will be used against you is the findings that the case needed to be remain open that was made two Fridays ago. I hope you understood that if you didn't ask me questions. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Uh, the only um, We haven't lost parental rights. They've requested to remove the girls a couple months ago. Uh, the judge completely denied it. So at the May court hearing, she basically said, this is pretty much irrelevant because, you know, I have a note on here that we've had several people, including law enforcement, check the girls. I took them to different doctors as well that are not the pediatrician uh, to do physical exams on both the girls, even though the allegations were only for one of them. But we too, we have a baby. We have a one-year-old baby. We decided to go ahead and do physicals on both of them, um, everything. So that's why we're kind of like, we don't know what's going on. And she basically told us, you know, there's no reason for you to go because since there's a new allegation coming in, all I'm going to do is just ask the court to extend it. And that's what, that's what my husband's right. attorney was saying. He's like, that's ridiculous. He's like, you guys have complied with everything. They've had attorney, they've had, uh, sorry, um, they've had a, a police officers, even had detectives, two detectives actually, on occasions, come and interview your daughter. They do reports every time they go out on a child abuse allegation, whether it's physical or sexual. And they both testified to you on the spot, this girl's not being abused it goes far beyond whatever else it is that they're trying to accuse you of. And she might need to go see, you know, uh, a therapist because there might be something else. They're like, but she's not being abused. 
and the caseworker right. has well, basically told us you. flat out, you know, it doesn't matter because that was a couple months ago. Nobody else has seen her recently. And I went well, ahead even before the CSP meeting. Yeah, but like I said, I, I went ahead. Uh-huh. Did you know that the longer they keep the case open, the more money they get from the federal government? Yeah, yeah, me and my husband, we've done our research and um, we we found out too that obviously also keeping the kids away or you losing your parental rights and them going to a foster home, they get money out of that or putting the kids up for adoption as well. They get a bonuses for for all that. Um, and I know that's your intention. Is there a reason, and is there a reason why you, your attorney, um, or you, your husband's attorney, didn't set the case for a trial to close the case? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure because I don't talk to my husband's attorney. He was just saying that it seemed like, uh, basically all the other attorneys, my daughter's attorneys, uh as well as mine, they were all looking to close the case. So that's what they were pushing for. But the only reason why it didn't was because of the new allegation is what I'm getting out of uh, what they notified us. Um, so I think know, they were pushing you know to you close had the it. Right? Did you know you had the right to have a trial to close the case? No, no, I, I didn't know. Um, is your case in Los Angeles County? Yes, it's in uh, Monterey Park. And do you know who your judge is? Um, let me see. I think this is in the third floor in room 310 or 410 or some, or uh, 300 or 400. Um, well, all of the courtrooms start with a four. I think, yeah, it's, I think it's like the really first, uh, the very first courtroom as soon as you go in. So I think that's uh, courtroom 400. Um, but I don't have the judge's name here on hand. Put you on the third floor. Yeah, it should, should be on the on the third floor. I, I know that. Um, I just don't remember exactly what courtroom. Okay, I got it. Um, Okay, no, this is a different one. But yeah, it's it's on the third floor. I think it's the room three three hundred. It's the very first courtroom. No, there's no there's no three hundreds. All of the courtrooms start with four. It's a four. Um, so, hmm. yeah. so on the third floor they go from four oh two, four oh three, four oh four, four oh five. 406, 407, 408, and 409 are all on the third floor. Okay, then it should be, yeah, then it should be 400 then, because it's the, like I said, it's the very first uh, courtroom. As soon as uh, you, you go into the floor, it's the very first one. First one on the left or the right? Um, This would be on the left. Okay, so that's that's actually Department 406. 406, okay. 
And um, so you should talk to your attorney about trying to have that hearing over again because the social worker told you not to go. When the social worker told you not to go, she guaranteed that your case would be extended another six months. Okay, and by basically us not showing up, that's them extending the case automatically. Correct. Because your attorney okay. can't set the case for trial in California unless you give him permission to set the case for trial. And if you're not there, you know, and assuming he hasn't called you beforehand, if you're not there, you can't give your attorney the permission to set the case for trial. You see how easy oh, that okay. worked for the social worker? So easy that yeah, worked for the social worker to get what you wanted? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to thank you for your call. I really appreciate it, and keep listening to our uh, show. Are you registered to vote? No, no, I'm not. Because that's the okay. way to change laws here in this country. Thank you very much. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to take another call from Erico 323, ending in 90. Good morning. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? Good morning. Okay, maybe that person has chosen not to speak. We'll take another call. We'll leave that person in the queue just in case they want to come back. Hello, are you there? Okay, we'll take another call. We'll take a call from area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning, morning Vincent. Did you have a story to tell, or did you have a question to ask? I'd like to share with all your readers, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to you. God bless you for taking your time on your holiday weekend, working as hard as you are. Um, for all you listeners out there, I've been a struggling man with a beautiful family, and unfortunately my life... Um, I lost my job to still control my own and uh, had sort of a downhill spiral where things kind of like one after another. And um, what had happened was in my economic uh, disadvantage, uh, the kids were taken away from us because we, um, my wife and I, um, were um, accused of uh, possibly negligence of the kids because of the Things of the belongings of my parents had passed away. They were in our house, and uh, they saw it was too much to handle. And like I thought with most societies, that um, we could be honest and work with people. But unfortunately, for the first year and a half, nothing seemed to materialize. Unfortunately, I got to the picture, but the damage had been done. The, um, all the stuff with social services, it's a horror nightmare. They made it worse two and a half years later in the way the beginning. We're seeing our kids as a group. They're kept together as a group. We have three of them. And they're beautiful, loving children. It's not back older child. They turned 18. They had no choice. He wanted to be back. And so 
Um, we got him back, but we're struggling to get back our, our youngest child, who is only 12 years old. Every time we see him, it's just worse and worse. The poor guy tried to be home for Thanksgiving and never materialized. And uh, it's the first Thanksgiving. In the previous times, we had a social worker that would uh, watch us with the um, Thanksgiving meal that we'd always have, so we couldn't get there. But um, our other child, our girl child, who's 15, of course, is a teenager, has been brainwashed and stirred in different directions. Luckily, she did talk to me. Our son at Thanksgiving because we told him to tell her that you love her and take so text. Our kids try to keep in touch, and we got to hear her on the phone, so that was good. She know we're listening, but she um, is really reaching out. I think she wants to be back with the family. We know we have a goal to have her back in the summer. But uh, the hardest thing for people to understand is that the children's services and social services, where you come, is a money-making machine, and I'm sad to say that I thought that all government agencies were for the better half. And when we talked about reunification, that was just the opposite of our case. And uh, we just ended up um, having a, a terrible time, uh, you know, keeping, keeping it together. My poor wife and I, our relationship is really tough because of it. Uh, and so as a kid, the son has changed. 18, now he's no longer the boy he used to be. Make all our kids have changed because of that. So they've done nothing. They've done everything criminal, and I know that we're going to prosecute them in the end. But that doesn't bring back the two and a half years you missed with your children. And so I just uh, sharing that never to give up, keep in the trenches. And uh, if you um, can, uh, you know, need an attorney, contact Vincent Davis. He has a great law firm, great group of people. And he does care. I mean, here he is on a Saturday, a holiday weekend. How many other attorneys, you know, would take their weekend to spend a little bit of time and help you? And he helps you in so many ways. So, again, thanks for me share my story and telling people not to give up. Hang in there. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Are you registered to vote? Okay, my next caller is from area code 323, ending in 9-0. Good morning. You're Hello, good morning. Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a Hi, story to morning. tell or a question to ask? Yes, um, my story has uh, been really, really stressful. Um we, we're going back and forth between counties. I, I live in Los Angeles County, and the father resides in San Bernardino County. And I've reported him to DCFS several times. And I believe because we are in family law court that they have just refused to open a case because they just want family law to continue handling this. Um, when my children came back with a broken arm, I residing in Los Angeles County decided to keep my children against the court order of San Bernardino County. And in that terms, the judge issued a warrant out for my arrest said that I was basically um, holding the minor children against the custodial parent or just defying his court order. And um, when I had the children for those five months, LA County decided to go ahead and turn it into a case. And based on all the investigation, they opened him a case up in dependency court. And the father was actually going to, I think, Monterey Park. Um, and when I was arrested and they took the children from me, 
they actually gave the children back to the father, even though he was in dependency court for child abuse, child neglect, and and also uh, not administering medical attention to the child. Um, the ARA of DCFS stated to me that he would try and get San Bernardino County to rescind the warrant, and he would try and get my children into protective custody with one of my family members, and he did not do that. He completely lied to me. And like I said, I was arrested, and my children were given back to their abusive father. And when we get to dependency court, my lawyer was asking for a continuance. And my kid's father's lawyer, he, he um, she said, no, we want to proceed. It's not our fault that she wasn't here the last couple of hearings. We want to proceed. The DCFS attorney said, we want to go ahead and dismiss the whole petition. And everybody was kind of shocked, like, what's going on? And from their mouths, they said, well, the father is very stressed out, and he's gone through so much, and, you know, we're going to just let family court in Victorville deal with this. And even the judge had to ask them, like, come into my chambers and speak to me because I don't know what's going on here. And they actually withdrew the petition based on the fact that he was stressed out and he missed his girls and they just wanted to close out the case. I feel like they just didn't want to do any work. And this is the problem that I've been having with DCFS, that they just don't want to take this case seriously because we're back and forth in family law and they completely dropped the ball. And now my kids are there with their father. He hasn't let me talk to them. He hasn't corresponded on talking parent with me. Um, he has even denied me the supervised visits that I'm supposed to have through family law court. He won't even let me see them. And so it's like, do I call DCFS again? Um, what am I supposed to do? Can I get the dependency court to reopen those child abuse allegations on him, even though, um, you know, DCFS dismissed the petition? What, what can I do? Now, let me get this straight. Your child had a broken arm and he wasn't arrested or DCFS didn't do anything? No, sir. No, sir. The forensic, the, the, the forensic department there in General Hospital interviewed my children. She had the broken arm for a week. She got it Easter Sunday. When he returned the children to me that next Friday, her arm had been broken an entire week. If I, if you look in the report from DCFS and the interviews and everything, the children say they're afraid of him. Um, they fear, they don't like being with him. They feel safe with mom. This is all in DCFS report, but yet and still they gave my kids back to him and said pursue it in family court and family law. Okay. Well, did the children say how the the child got the broken arm? I believe they've been coached. They've been telling everybody that they got it in a jumper, um, that they were jumping in a bouncy house and it got a little rough in there. And one of the kids jumped on her arm and that's what they have been telling people. And I just believe that they've been coached um, because the, uh, the abuse has what? escalated. It wasn't just that one incident. What did the um, forensics say? about the injury? Was it an accidental type break or was it a, uh, an intentional type <laughs> break? It came back inconclusive. Uh, and the reason it came back inconclusive is because they refused to interview my child. I reported that in April. And then we had family law court 
um, in May. And they, what they were trying to do was wait until the judge decided who was going to have custody before they even opened it into a case. They really didn't want to do any work. They um, held it up in the investigation stage. And I was told this by a supervisor that we can't offer you certain things because it hasn't turned into a case yet. We're holding it in the investigation stages to see who's actually going to have custody. And when the judge didn't make a decision on that May appointment that we had, then they interviewed my child, I think, like May 20th. And that's why the break came back inconclusive. They couldn't decide whether or not the break was, um, you know, inflicted by the father or if it was an accident. So and, and in that case, you know, that's all DCFS doing that. They really just didn't want to do any work. They were trying to see who actually had uh, custody to see which county would take the case. And which county took the case? Uh, Pasadena. I mean, L.A. County took the case. And then they dismissed it when we went to dependency court because they said the father's so stressed out. And um, they refused. They, did, they dismissed the petition and told us to re for me to pursue it in family law. And are you pursuing it in family law in the juvenile court? Excuse me, in family law court, not the juvenile court? In family, yes, sir, in family law. And they, uh, even the lawyer, I mean, excuse me, even the judge in dependency court said, well, it's not about the father, it's about the children. And they said, well, we still want to just dismiss the entire petition. Um, he's been stressed out over these few months. And uh, we just think, you know, he, there's nothing going on here. But the report states everything leads to the father and, and his girlfriend. And and um, for, for them to actually dismiss the case, it was unbeknownst to me or his attorney. I mean, it was all like a shock. Nobody knew that they were going to do that. And the judge had to call those DCFS attorneys for the kids into her chambers to actually speak to them. And they really dismissed the entire petition just, just like that and gave my kids back to him. He's very manipulative. And it's, who was, it's, who was your um, judge? Oh my goodness. The judge there, I think it was on the, in Monterey Park. We were in department. I'm not sure I don't have you. That's okay. Um, if you can't find I really it, I was just curious. So yeah. are you, when is your next hearing, when's your next hearing date in family law court? My family law court hearing is actually coming up on the 29th and come to find out he doesn't even live at that location. The sheriffs are in, unable to serve him. So I don't know if the judge is even going to hear my case on the 29th or not because he wasn't served. Um, but he continues to show up at my hearing for the criminal case that I have for child abduction that was dropped down to child stealing, like I'm stealing my own children. And then now they've dropped it down to parent um, keeping minor children from custodial parent. And I'm still fighting that case based on the fact that I kept my children against the court order just for L.A. County to open up a proper case for child abuse. And DCFS never even notified San Bernardino County that, in fact, he was on trial in dependency court. They never, um, you know, took my kids in protective custody. He said he was interview my mom and my aunt and he never did that and I was arrested the very next week after speaking to the ARA of DCFS. When is um 
when is your next hearing in the criminal case? December 12th. And do you know what, what type of hearing that is? It's another pre-prelim. Every time I go, it's like the DA is not ready. They get more evidence, and then they keep changing the charges, and then they, they will set it for another date. And so you said it's a pre-preliminary hearing? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, do me a favor. I'm quite interested in your case. Would you mind calling us back and keeping us updated on what's going on with your case? Yes, sir, I will. Uh, I enjoy Thank listening you to your much. radio station. very informative. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. And by the way, are you registered? Are you registered to vote? Yes. Thank you very much, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're running out of time this morning. We only have a couple minutes left, not enough time uh, to take a call. So I apologize to everyone who's still waiting in the queue. I want to remind everyone to register to vote and to vote. Make sure that you vote in every election. Uh, the people that uh, make our laws, you have the ability to vote them into office or vote them out of office. And the people that vote, excuse me, and the people that interpret our laws, uh, who are the judges, you have the power here in California to vote them in and to vote them out of office. One of the things I want to mention before we sign off today is it is extremely important that if you have a juvenile dependency case, you frequently communicate with your attorney as to what's happening in the case, what your strategy in the case should be, and what you want to accomplish in the courtroom. Many people tell me generally um, when they have sometimes a private attorney and a lot of times they that they are only able to talk to their attorney five minutes before they go into court. On something as important as the custody, the visitation, the welfare and well-being of your children, that's, in my opinion, that's not adequate. You should be talking to your attorney frequently through telephone conversations, through voicemails, through emails, and through text messaging. Um, I speak to a lot of my, I communicate with a lot of my clients through um, texting, and I'm able to speak to many of them frequently all during the times of the day and night. So make sure you communicate with your attorney. I want to thank everyone for We'll see you next week on the radio.